Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Okay. Well, it's good to be with you today. We're going to sing one more song later on. Is that okay to do that? Amen. I knew you felt like you got cheated, didn't you? But yeah, okay, I got you. But we're going to sing one more at the end there. And um, just good to be with you today. We're going to start a new series off. uh, And today I'm going to begin with the first message, How Do I Know God Exists? You ever been asked that question? How do you know God exists? Because that's a really big question. Now, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1. And verse 1, and then I'm going to go to John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. These are two verses <clears throat> that I'm going to use introducing uh, today's topic as I get into this. Um, but in Genesis 1 1, uh, it says this In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So from the get go, we find that uh, God is the creator of everything in the universe, everything that we see, correct? That's what the Bible teaches. And then if you flash over to John, the Gospel of John, and to John chapter 1, you're going to find that John, and they're very, there's a lot of similarities to John's Gospel in the beginning and the Genesis creation. <clears throat> in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know from verse 14, the Word is Jesus Christ. But verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. And when you look at that, if you're new to the Bible, you say, well, look, He had a beginning and He had a start. No, it just means that He always was. It says, verse 3, All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So now from John chapter 1, you find that the Word, Jesus Christ, he is the creator of everything. He's the creator of the universe. So you find the very, very same idea of Genesis 1. You find it in John chapter 1. That the Bible says that the word Jesus Christ created all things. Now, the question is, how do I even know God exists? And I think it's the question of creation. When someone asks me that question, um, I can sit there and I can say, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, this whole series, I'm going to just tell you how I would answer these questions. And the whole series is about being able to defend our faith and, and being able to answer the tougher questions today because we, we live in a society that is no longer Judeo-Christian ethic, right? And so, as Christians, we've got to be ready for these things. But if somebody asked me, how do I know God exists? If I said the Bible said what's the probable response they would give to me? I don't believe in the Bible. So what does that even matter? And so I can't go there with that person if I choose to try to reach that person. So I've got to go with them down a different road and a different avenue to try to reach that person for God. Are you tracking with me on that one? Now, I do a lot of study on this particular topic over the last four years. It might be my favorite topic now, I listen to a lot of different uh, Christian uh, scientists and different types like that. And, uh, and I have my favorite ones. <clears throat> but there's, there's thinking now 
this is where it's at, we'll talk about this, that the atheist scientists, they say that um, <clears throat> the universe created itself from nothing, but there's a lot of scientists that aren't Christian that say no, that this thing had a beginning, and we'll talk about that in a second. And so the real thing is, how do, how do I answer this question? How, how do I get there? Well, let me be clear with you on something, in case you're not a believer. Because if you're a Christian, you're just going to agree with me all the way. You're going to be the voice in the choir and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me look at it this way. If you're not a Christian, you're kind of a skeptic, and you're watching from home, wherever you're at, you're here, and you're wondering, is there really a God? Um, my wa- you, you guys know my wife and I, we love to watch ID Channel. How many like ID Channel? How many have no clue what ID Channel is? How many of you aren't saved? No, I'm just joking. ID Channel, we love murder mysteries, okay? And one of the things in a murder mystery that I see repeatedly is this, that they always want to find the body, right? Because if they can find the body of the dead person, that makes the case stronger. But they can't always get, find the body. It's not always told where the body is. So they have to go with circumstantial evidence on the situation. Are you following? So if I'm defending my faith and I say God exists, I cannot pull God out and say, here's God, take a look at him. Can I? I can't show them God. I can't do that. Yet we as Christians know that if we live right and we live godly, they see Jesus in us, correct? But, and we know that as Christians, but I can't pull God and say, here's God, take a look at him. We know God is spirit, right? He's invisible. So if I can't do that, then what do I do to prove to them there is God? Well, the best thing is the, what they do in a courtroom. Circumstantial evidence. What is the evidence? What is it we can see? Because I'll give you a for instance. <clears throat> if you ask somebody, what is gravity? They may say, well, gravity does this and this and this. Well, wait a second. I didn't ask you what it does. I asked you what it is. Do you know they can't tell you what gravity is? Nobody can. But we know it exists because we see what it does, correct? We see the evidence of it. That's the same thing that comes with, with God. I can't pull God out and say, here's God, I'd like you to meet him. I can't do that. So I've got to give evidence that there is a creator. This is the way my steps would take to try to reach somebody to show them that there is a creator of everything that we see. So we're going to begin this uh, eight-week series today. And let me show you some of the... I'm going to show you all the ones we're going to try to answer in this eight weeks. Here we go. Put them up on the screen. We're going to look at next week. How do I know Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, that's a big one because all of our faith rests on the resurrection. Amen? I mean, if we don't, if the resurrection isn't true, then we're wasting our time. Then we're going to look at why is Christianity the only way? Have you ever thought that? Don't you hear all roads lead to God? Don't you hear statements like that? Yeah, we're going to answer that one. How about this? This is going to be the toughest one of all in my... Well, the next two. Why doesn't God do something about evil and suffering? You ever had that one thrown in your face? That's a tough one. That's not an easy one because you're going to have to approach it from two different perspectives and we'll see about it at that point. And then here's another one. Why would a loving God send people to hell? You ever had that one asked, given to you? Well, that's a tough question, but there are answers to the question. And then are science and God compatible? Another, a better way to put it is, has science done away with God? We're going to answer that question because that's basically what Stephen Hawking stated. And then the next one is God and sex. You know, I don't have to go into detail there, okay? You guys got that one. And then what about all those weird, old, weird laws in the Old Testament? What about those things? 
And then today we're going to look at how do I know God exists. So here's, we're going to begin there. And I want to begin with this verse. Very important verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And would you all read it with me? Here we go. One, two, three. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account <clears throat> gentleness and reverence now I want you to notice and I keep the verse up just for a little bit if you could keep it up there there's a, there's a them and there's an us in that verse I don't like pointing that out for one reason because I don't like to make the church like it's the world versus us I don't like that idea because we need to be a place where the world can come in and find Jesus, correct? So we've got to be really careful with that them-us type of situation. But in this verse, he begins, or in the middle of it, he says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. The ask part is them. They're going to ask us something. And then there's the us part. The S part is we need to be ready to make a defense. So there's a, there's a them, they're going to ask questions. Now I have a question for you on that one. Why would someone ask you or I any questions about our faith? Raise your hand. Why, Jim? They see something different in you, don't they? They see something very different about you. So there's something in the way we carry ourselves, that we respond, what we're like at work versus the rest of the world. They see something. And so they're looking at you, they're watching your life, and they're wondering, why are you the way you are? And they're going to ask a question on that. And that question is going to probably lead to a few other questions, correct? And so they are going to ask us questions. It should lead off like that. Now, it says in that moment, there's the us part, that we need to be ready to make a defense. Now, the word defense that Peter uses is the Greek word apologia. And we get our word apologetics. It means to defend the faith. Now, the basic idea of the word there means you've got to give an answer. You've got to answer the question. Now, that leads me in my life, and it should lead all of us in our lives, then that one of our, if not our primary purpose, which is to make Christ known, we should also be pursuing the scriptures so that we can lovingly and gently answer the questions that come at us. Amen? But let me show you the warning that Peter gives in there for every Christian. He started that verse off with, sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. Why does he say that? Why would Peter say that? Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, you better make sure Jesus is number one in your heart, Christian. Because when people come and ask you questions, Jesus better be number one, and then you better be ready to give answers. Those are two elements right there. Because if Jesus isn't number one in your life, and you're still kind of hesitant in that, when they start bombarding you with questions, then you're going to be like that person who's tossed back and forth like a double-minded person, right? And they can talk you out of God, and they can talk you into anything else. 
Because you've just never settled it. You've never settled it. You know why most people walk away from Jesus Christ, walk away from God? Not for theological reasons. It's emotional reasons. There are going to be a lot of emotional reasons that come at us in our life, right? Where things didn't go right. We'll talk about that in the suffering part. But you've got to settle it. That Jesus is number one, and that's it. And then you move from there, because if not, you'll be tossed this way, and you'll be tossed that way when they start throwing these questions at you. And you've got to be ready to answer the questions as they come at us. Because our calling is absolutely to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so, we got to be ready to give answers. So here we go. It's our first one now. Um, Number one today, and first one is this one. How do I know God exists? Well, there's scientific evidence of a beginning of the universe. Now, some of you are going to flash in your mind back, Jim, didn't you talk about this last year? Yes, I did. And so I'm not going to go in great detail on this one. I'm going to, point two is going to be my bigger point. But let me say this. Last year when I talked about the evidence of the beginning of the universe, that was in a series called the Easter Anthology. You can go back on our NBCC Norco YouTube channel. It's late March, and then it ends on the first Sunday of April. That's Easter. I talked about how God, the Creator, then if there's a Creator, there's miracles. If there's miracles, then there could be resurrection, and can be, and there is. So I'm not going to redo that again. You can go back and watch that, but I'm going to hit three of the points I hit that day very quick. They're very quick bullet points, because... I want to get to the next point that I didn't cover last year. And so let me give you three quick ones about the creation of the universe, that there is a beginning of the universe. And the first one is this. Science, not Christians, but science, discovered the universe is running out of usable energy. This was a big scientific discovery by these people. How many of you put gas in your car this week? Why did you put gas in your car? Because your car was what? Empty. That's not a good statement right there. Running out of gas, okay? <laughs> okay, don't let it get empty, okay? Running out of gas. Because why? Because you filled it up and then it's running out, right? So they've discovered that the universe is running out of energy. That it began, it was wound up, and now it's winding down as time passes. That was a very, very big deal. You know why? Because that meant that the universe, as they thought before, is not eternal. They thought the universe was eternal. It just always was. How they came to that conclusion, I don't know, but that's what they thought. But now they know it's winding down. Therefore, it had a beginning point that's winding down. That was the first thing I shared last year. The second thing is this. Science discovered the universe is expanding. This is a big, big point. Edwin Hubble, ever heard of the Hubble telescope? Edwin Hubble, he looks into the massive telescope and he discovers... The universe is expanding from a single point. Now, that is an amazing thing in, that, in this respect. That if you had a tape that you could replay backwards in the history of the universe, go all the way back, they, you would find that the universe would collapse, 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 collapse down, not to the size of a basketball, not to a ping pong ball, not to a pinhead. It collapsed down to nothing that this universe started as nothing. There was nothing, and then all of a sudden, there was something. Now, that's crazy when you think about it, is it not? That means there was nothing, and all of a sudden, whatever you want to call it, Big Bang or whatever, 
All of a sudden, space, time, and matter came into existence, and now we see. And by the way, when I was a kid, I, I, I remember thinking this question, what's on the other side of the universe? Because I remember them telling me the universe is expanding in school, and I thought, what's on the other side? Anyone ever thought that one right there? I thought that one, and then they discovered there's nothing on the other side. That as the universe expands, it creates its own space. Is that crazy or what? But if you went all the way back, it'd get back to the point of nothing. Well, how does something, here's the big question, how does something come from nothing? Logically, it cannot, correct? And this is science that is proven. This is not, this is science. Now, let me give you a side note because I got to say this every time. <clears throat> if you ever get into one of these discussions and somebody's throwing it at you and they're going to say something like this, Stephen Hawking or somebody, they stated They've discovered that the universe could create itself from nothing. First off, that's not logical, right? But here's what they're not telling you. When they say nothing, they don't mean nothing. They still mean something. Because Stephen Hawking said, and you've heard me say before, since we have gravity... Therefore, the universe could create itself from nothing. Question, is gravity something or is it nothing? It's something. So then you ask the question of them, then who created gravity? See, it still doesn't answer the questions. And then they're going to take you into quantum vacuums, these particles fluctuating in and out. That's another one of their nothings that is something that could have created the universe, but it's still something. And who created that? But they've proven that the universe started from nothing. And all of a sudden, there was something. Huh, interesting. The third bullet point is this. Science discovered the afterglow of the Big Bang explosion. You know that these two scientists, Pendius and Wilson, who won a Nobel Prize for this, they discovered the background radiation of the initial, or whatever it was, where this universe began. Is that wild or what? They discovered the initial point. They discovered these things. So we know that the universe had some kind of a first cause. Something caused it to come into existence. Now, when I dialogue with somebody, if they ask me that question, those are the first places I go. I start going that down those roads to show them something started this time. There was, there was nothing then this space, time, matter, and something, some powerful, immaterial mind began this thing, of which I call God, and the Bible calls God. So that's where I begin. Now, where do I go after that? Here's what I want to talk to you about today. And that's point two. The universe is fine-tuned to support life on Earth. <clears throat> I'm a real logical thinker. If it's not logical, it doesn't work for me. I'm a real practical thinker. I don't bite things just to bite things. If I can't use it, I just feel like, nah, I'm not going to get it. Anybody like that? I just, I'm just like, it doesn't, what am I, what do I need that for? I'm going to look at it. I, I need something that I'm, I can use, you know? That's why it's hard for me to spend a lot of money on food when I could buy a pair of pants. Anybody? I, I, it's like, why would I spend that much money? I could go buy some pants. And I could wear those pants for like about four or five years. And I, I'm going to give you that money? No, it's just the way my mind, it's the way I am. But I'm logical. And so, <clears throat> this is what I if I was going to try to become an unbeliever and, believe and become an atheist, this is the one I just can't get around. I, I just can't. 
It's called the theological argument. Telos means design. There's design in the universe. Isaac Newton said this. He said, the most beautiful system of sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the council of dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientists of all time. Now, let me give you some quick shots, and then let me start to give you illustrations of why this one works for me. This is my, this is my deal right here. But here's the fine-tuning of the universe. Did you know the sun is just right, just the right size for its distance from the earth? It's just perfect. Right size, right distance. You know the earth's size and rotation speed are just right? Do you know the moon is just the right size for tidal variation? Did you know the earth's tilt is just right for present weather cycles? Did you know the Earth's orbital speed is just right for reasonable seasons? Did you know the oceans have just the right temperature variation for sea life? And I put et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because we could go on and on on all these things. In other words, things in this universe are so well-placed and so tuned, and they're tuned so that you and I could have life on planet Earth. If anything was a little bit closer, a little bit farther, life on earth wouldn't even be possible. So here's my deal. How could a, a mindless, unguided, random universe create such perfection where humans could live on this planet? How is that possible? And it's not possible, is it? And I gotta, how many, I, I gotta do something with, how many of you watched Spider-Man, the new movie Spider-Man? How many of you haven't seen it yet? You're going to see it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I gave you three weeks, man. I gave you, th I gave you three. You even had Christmas break, and you didn't. Go I've seen it twice. I took my wife again last week. She didn't see it the first time. We're in one of those recliner seats in theaters. She falls asleep. I go, I know we got the seniors discount, but this is Spider-Man No Way Home. And she's asleep in the movie. I go, hey. She said, huh, what? I, I couldn't believe it. I go, what's the last time I'm taking you on a date to the movies? Now, in Spider-Man No Way Home, there's something in that movie that's in the comics, in Marvel comics, that's also used to describe how the universe does not have to be created by God or some super being. I found it fascinating because I've been studying this stuff for a while and they, oh, they're using it here. It's called the multiverse. Remember the multiverse in Spider-Man? They have multiple universes. Now, I've been so far out of comics, I don't read the comics since I was a kid, but I watch these movies. I love Marvel movies. But they have all these multiple universes where there's Spider-Man Spider in all these different universes, and you have all these villains and all these... There's all these universes. It's called the multiverse. And you see this in this Spider-Man No Way Home. But did you know that once... And this is what's... It's comedy to me, and I'm not trying to be funny about it, but 
once they proved that the universe had a beginning and it wasn't eternal, now they had a problem with that, atheist scientists, because how do we explain away God? How do we do this? So once again, they tried, well, if we have gravity this or we have a quantum vacuum, but who made that? And then they came up with the theory of multiple universes. You know they use that now? That the reason why we are in a universe now is not because there's a God. It's because there's so many different universes out there, multiverses, that we just happen to be in the one that did everything just right and was finely tuned for human life. You ever heard that before? That's a big one right now. Now, here's the question you ask. If anyone ever asks you, ask them, and who created all the universes? So you still have to ask that question, right? Because otherwise it's just smoke and mirrors. You got, so I would ask the question, well, okay, who created all the multiverse? Well, I don't know about that. Well, something had to have created it. And so you go from there. Now, let me try to give you illustrations on how, why this is, seals a deal for me on how I know there's a God. There's fine-tuning in life. How many of you ever seen the movie Apollo 13? I mean, I've seen it like about 25, 30 times. I'm not kidding. It's one of those movies for me like Gladiator or Shawshank Redemption or The Matrix where I can turn it on at any given part of the movie and I'm watching that movie. Any amens, right? Yeah. And so on Apollo 13, and, and I love that movie, and you're going to think I'm crazy for what I'm going to say next. But I remember about the fourth, fifth time I saw it, I remember I turned to my wife, Olivia, and I said, Olivia, if, if I had to die, that's the way I want to go out. I want to be in Apollo 13. And then the second time, the next time I go, Olivia, she goes, I already know. If you die, that's the way you want to go out. I go, yeah. I want to go out like that, man. And so, uh, not that I want to go out, okay. But in that movie, it's a, it's a really interesting movie. I was... I was about, uh, I, I'm going to date myself. The week that it happened, that it ha actually happened, I was 13, going to turn 14. When that air canister blew up on Apollo 13 and it damaged that ship, I was going to turn 14 that week, the, all the events of that week. <clears throat> I want you to think about that movie if you've, if you've, never, if you've seen it. They're heading to the moon, and now they can't land. The scientists down are debating whether they do an abrupt turn, come back, or they slingshot with gravity around the moon and gain steam and come back that way. Remember that scene? They decide they're going to slingshot and use the gravity pull and come back all around and bring themselves back. The gravitational interaction between the Earth and the moon. <clears throat> You know that if gravity were greater or less on earth, huh, the earth would not be possible. Did you know that? And I'll get into the dimension of that, which is mind-boggling in a second. But here's the one that gets me. There's that scene. And they're talking and they're dialoguing as they're coming back. And all of a sudden you hear that beep, 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 beep. You remember that? Because the carbon dioxide levels are rising in the cabin. In other words, the oxygen they're breathing in, when you and I breathe in oxygen and we let it out, it becomes what? It's carbon dioxide. And it becomes lethal at high levels. And now it's increasing in the cabin. And the reason for it, why, why is this thing? Because 
there's three on the lamb instead of two. Because remember, the lamb was supposed to be abandoned. There should have been gone down the moon. They didn't do that. So what do they do in the movie? Now think about this, because it's like, wow. Down on planet Earth, because these astronauts are 100,000 miles away, and they're going to die. And so down on Earth, they grab everything that would have been inside there, any miscellaneous stuff, and they get these 10, 15, 20 engineers and scientists, and they throw it on the table, all this stuff, duct tape, anything they could find, say, we've got to create something that will clean the air so that they don't die up there. We've got to get, make something that will attach there and turn the carbon dioxide back to oxygen. Do you remember that? And they work on it, they work on it, and all these scientists and engineers are working on it, working on it, and they finally come up with this thing, and they have a, a whole way to put it together. And they, and they, and they take them the step-by-step, step, take it through it, and they put it together, and it works. It takes the carbon dioxide, goes to the air cleaner, and it cleans the air, and now they have air. Why is that important? Be- because on earth... You and I breathe in oxygen. We breathe out carbon dioxide. And then these green leafy plants, they take the carbon dioxide, do they not? It takes it in, and through photosynthesis, it turns it back into what? Oxygen. It took 15 engineers with brains and thinking to put something together, to come up with this gizmo to be able to do that. Where God already put that in nature, did he not? So how is it that we can look at 15 engineers and say, oh, mine did that, a a designer did that, but then we look at nature and see photosynthesis and and we say, that was just random. That's just evolution. There's no mind that did that. Are you kidding me? It's a great evidence of fine-tuning, is it not? Have you ever thought about this? Why is it when they're in that spacecraft, and you remember when they cannot turn on their computer, they can't turn it on because they don't have power, and they have to do all the math for everything for a course correction, otherwise they're going to skim right off the Earth's atmosphere. And they're doing all the math, getting everything ready, and they do the course correction. Here's what's crazy about that. And and for some of you, you may never use this, but I'm going to give it for some of you. What is it? What's happening there is, why is it that the universe out there is mathematical? It's mathematical, and the math of the universe can be done inside the brain of humans. You ever think about that? How is that possible that we can do math in our head that fits with math in the universe unless there was a creator, correct? Correct? That's an amazing thought if you really, really think about it. Now, let me drill down further. Let me, let me go down further. Let me take it to personal because fine-tuning to me is fascinating and I hope it's fascinating for you, but um, how many of you ever cut your finger? Okay, okay. You cut your finger and eventually, you know, it coagulates, correct? Vitamin K in your system and everything like that. Okay. <clears throat> Do you know that when you cut your finger or have a cut on your, wherever you cut yourself, it starts to bleed. Do you know in your body, there are 20-something chemicals 
that begin to interact at certain intervals and has to be at the right times, the right combinations, the right things for it to begin to coagulate and begin to scab up and cause a scab on the, and to heal up on your body. Did you know that? Who made provision for that? Who made provision for that? That if your body ever is cut, that your body, 20-some chemicals start moving in there, right combinations, right orders, right time, right everything, and now it begins to coagulate and scab up. Who made that provision? Is that just random? That's an unguided, mindless universe? No, not at all. Not at all. There was a creator that did that. There was a mind that did that. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let me give you, how, how many are more scientific, math, mathematical? Anybody like that right here? Okay, this one's just for you guys. The gravitational force of the earth if it were altered by zero point, this is not even one percent, but zero point zero 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 one our sun would not exist and we would not exist. That's how fine tuned it is. That's how fine tuned everything is. So for me, when I look at things like this, I mean, how can there not be a creator? Somebody that fine-tuned everything for us. Now, here's the one that seals the deal for me. This is the one, if somebody really pressed me, I always, I'll always bring it back to this. It's one of, my, one of the answers I try to give them. <clears throat> DNA. And I talked about this last year. In 1953, two scientists, Watson and Crick, they discovered DNA, and now DNA is used all over the place. But your DNA are the chemicals, it's the coding, it's the instructions for the building blocks and the replication of all living things. It's the reason why um, all my grandkids look just like me. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Um, but, because, but DNA, there's a code in there. Now, what's crazy about this is, and, and let me try to put it to you this way. <clears throat> In your body right now, do you know how many cells there are? About 37 trillion, give or take a few. Some of us have a little more. Every one of your cells and my cells in my body, every one of them carries a DNA code of 3.4, 3.5 letter code. There's four letters in the code, but it's 3.4, 3.5 billion letters long. It's a code, it's a message. It's a sequence in every one of your cells. Every one of them. Is that wild? That's the code. Now let me take it, drill it down. A single-celled amoeba. You've heard of that, right? In a single-celled amoeba. Just a single-celled amoeba. It's a single cell. Do you know how much DNA code there is in that? There's enough coded information in a single-cell amoeba to fill, and I'm going to date myself, 1,000 Encyclopedia Britannicas sets. Anybody remember Encyclopedia Britannica? That's, those are big, right? One single-celled amoeba can fill 1,000 of those. 1,000 with information. A single-celled amoeba! Now you, you take all that, and say, how is it that a mindless, unguided, random universe creates anything? Now here's, here's the way I like to, to put it like this. <clears throat> this code. 
And if I was talking to somebody, this is what I would say. I said, let's say I come down on Friday morning, which is my day off, so I like to go study, then I like to go to the gym, then I come back and I do all the pickup things I got to do that I couldn't get done during the week. Let's say I go down and I'm about to head out my garage side door to get into my truck. And there's a note on the side, and it's obviously written uh, from Libby, and it says, Jim, I won the lotto when I married you. I mean, it's just stuff like that. Okay, it would never say that, okay. I'm wishing it would say that. But what if the note said, Jim, can you bring home dog food? About 25 letters. What would I assume by that note? Would I assume that a person, a mind, actually wrote that? Wouldn't I? I would. Olivia wrote that. It took a person, it took a mind. Then what is, why is it that we can look at a genetic code, a DNA in a human body? Every cell has a coded message of 3.4, 3.5 billion letters long of coded information. And we say, random. Just happened. And yet we look at somebody, write their name, and we go, oh, no, somebody was here. How do we do that? I'll tell you why. It's our worldview. It's whatever we start with. If our worldview is, nope, no God, doesn't matter what evidence we give to people, they may never accept it. May never accept it. And so I don't know where you stand with these things, but here's what I know what the Bible teaches me at the end of it all here. Hebrews 11.3, please. It says, it says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Isn't that crazy? The writer of Hebrews wrote this a couple thousand years ago because he understood what John 1 said. He understood what Genesis 1 said, that God created all things. He created something out of nothing. And only a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, powerful mind could do that. And that's God. And so when I share my faith, and when people ask me questions like, how do I know God exists? I take them down the road. Okay, okay. There's evidence that the universe had a beginning, but then I take them into fine-tuning. How in the world is everything so finely tuned? for human life on planet earth the only way it could be is that there's a God there's a God who made all these things and once you've got that down and you'll be ready for any of the questions coming at you now will it change your mind hmm, maybe not but you'll have the answer and Peter said be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have within you with gentleness reverence to them amen let's pray God, um, <clears throat> I just pray for anybody watching 
anyone here and you're struggling whether is there a God is there not a God or maybe in, in your school high school college campus wherever they've been talking you out of a God when all the evidence points to a creator there was a moment in time when there was nothing and then there was something Anything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe was caused. And we know that cause to be God. Jesus, all things were made by you. You are the creator. And the more science discovers, the more they realize that is true. Thank you for that, Father. And if you've never, ever, or if you've struggled with that idea, is there really a God? Can I really believe this? Is this my parents' faith? Do I believe it? Do I not believe it? What do I do? I hope today I've given you enough information. At least think it over. Look at the evidence. Don't look at the cliches. Look at the evidence. Don't look at the sloganism. Look at the evidence that there is a creator who created everything that the universe now has been proven began from nothing, from nothing. How do you get something from nothing? And it's fine-tuned for you. For you. It's incredible. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, either here or watching online, I hope today you do. I hope you put your faith in Jesus, ask him to forgive you your sins and say, Lord, be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior. Today I follow you. I accept your truth. I accept it as the truth, the only truth, that you're the creator and you came to die on a cross for me. And if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus because you've been back and forth and tossed to and fro on these things, and like I said before, maybe you grew up in a family and you're not sure if Christianity is the way or if it's really a God because people have gotten your head, then settle it today now. For the rest of your life, this is it. I've given you evidence. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus today, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. If you backslid and you want to come back to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I want everybody in this room to repeat this prayer after me and those of you who want to put your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, I want you to repeat it with us. They're gonna, we're going to say it out loud with you so you're not alone, but you've got to put your faith in Christ as the creator of everything. Here we go. Repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me on a cross. You, the creator would take my place on that cross and suffer for my sins and shed your blood to forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sins. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. Today I put my faith in you as my Savior, as my Lord, as my God. Thank you for saving me. 
Now let me pray for you. God, I pray for uh, all people that said that prayer for the first time, rededication. I pray, Jesus, that they begin to follow you, they begin to grow in the word of God, that they're ready to give an account, to give an answer to anyone who asks them. We've got to be ready to, anyone who asks us a question, we've got to grow in these things. We cannot take it haphazardly because lives are on the line out there and seekers are asking questions and help us, God, to dig deeper and deeper to, and, and, and practice how we're going to answer these questions with the real answers to life. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Praise you, God. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.